mentioned earlier, it's a delight to have Eric with us. Eric, if you want to come on up, I'll yeah. introduce you real quick. Eric has his beautiful daughter Angie with him today. Eric is from Pensacola, Florida. And uh, I'm going to let him tell you some of the background. He is the president of Creation Today, goes all over the world and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through creation and through God's word. And um, he is, and makes no bones about it, that he is a true apologetic. <sighs> And uh, that means he is a defender of God's faith. Those of y'all that are taking uh, the young man, Jason, that just played guitar, he is teaching a class that does just that. How do you know the Bible is for real? Uh, And we, as Christians, need to know when people ask us questions, we need to know and have answers. And so that's why we have Eric, and we're glad to have Eric here this morning. Would you please give him a warm Langston welcome this morning? Thank you. Thank you. It is certainly a privilege to be here. I do love what I do. They just celebrated 20 years of traveling and speaking. I've been blessed to speak in all 50 states and nine different countries over 5,000 times presenting the truth of God's word to a world who desperately, desperately needs to know his truth. Uh, my, my goal today is to give you an aha moment here in just, uh, in just a minute. I, by the end of this service, I hope you think through something that you have never, ever thought through before. And I hope, I hope it comes to you in a way that's just one of those wow God moments. That's my goal. So if I don't accomplish it, I'm sorry, but that's the goal. That's what we're going for. Um, my daughter is here, and my PowerPoint is not working. Give me just a second here. See if we can get, there we go. Okay. Let's see if she goes. There we go. Um, uh, I want to talk, my, my daughter is here. She's at the back table. She's actually that uh, I want to give you something. I'll tell you about that. Um, my, uh, my goal today is to share with you some information about skeptics, uh, give you some questions to ask skeptics, and then teach you like this, this aha thing of how we know we are right and we cannot be wrong and where truth really comes from, okay? Two months ago, a gentleman named David Lynn was arrested on the streets of Toronto. He was walking around on the streets of Toronto, sharing his faith and saying, ladies and gentlemen, I have come out. I have come out as a Christian and I want to know, will you love me? Will you accept me? And the LGBT community in Toronto notified their friends, they quickly gathered and came to protest David while he was standing there and speaking to the crowds. As they protest, the LGBT community began to block the sidewalks and chase him around and make him where he couldn't walk, he couldn't do anything, he couldn't move. They were trying to block him and hold signs right in his face. When the police got there, they arrested David Lynn for blocking the sidewalks and inciting and, uh, and, and uh, committing a hate speech. Two weeks ago, Chick-fil-A opened in Toronto. Three weeks ago now. The LGBT community came out to protest Chick-fil-A. When they came out and protested Chick-fil-A, they blocked the sidewalk. They laid down in front of the doors of Chick-fil-A so nobody <laughs> Take a wild guess at how many people were arrested during their protest. Absolutely none. They're great at saying, hey, judge not, judge not, and I hear that all the time, hey, judge not. 
They're not good at using the rest of that passage. Judge not that ye be not judged is now more famous than John 3.16. It is quoted more than John's 3.16 now. Judge not. It was very interesting to watch them stand there. I've got another video clip. This is what they started chanting. My meal comes hate free. No chick will lay for me. My meal comes hate free. No chick will lay for me. My meal comes hate free. No chick will lay for me. Let me ask you something. They quote, judge not that you be not judged. Are they applying that to themselves? No, they're not. They're actually doing the judging, aren't they? It's incredibly ironic to watch the hypocrisy of the LGBT community. And if you're here and you're a supporter of the LGBT community, you're in it, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you, a real conversation. I don't think I'm, I'm uh, setting them up when I say they are incredibly hypocritical. And the Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged. It goes on though. It doesn't stop there. It says, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. It's saying, don't be hypocritical in your judgment. That's what it's saying. It's saying, don't be hypocritical in your judgment. Hey, how many of you uh, have a hard time, just be real honest, this is church, so you're allowed to be honest here. How many of you have a real hard time sharing your faith with others open, openly and just kind of making it, uh, making something that you can do with boldness? Does, I'm, that's, I'm about to raise my hand. Anybody else go, that's me. It's kind of difficult to do that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, I have a hard time with this as well. So our ministry just launched, well, actually next month, we're going to be launching a brand new project. Are you guys taking notes? Can you guys write this down for me real quick? Good, you're taking notes. All right. So we just launched, or we're launching a brand new project. Um, it started on a trip, ironically, with my daughter, Angie. My daughter Angie and I, I it was her birthday, and we, she flew with me up to Wisconsin when I was preaching in Wisconsin. On the way back for her birthday, we flew through Atlanta, and I decided, let me treat her good. We went to P.F. Chang's in Atlanta, okay, the Atlanta airport. So we're there eating at P.F. Chang's, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I love it. I love passing out tracts. I love sharing my faith. I love sharing the gospel. But man, sometimes it's just really difficult, and I thought, Here's a bunch of people sitting in P.F. Chang's. How would I really get their attention? If I really wanted to share something with them and I wanted them to take notice and I really wanted to get their attention, how could I really get their attention? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, what if, what if I paid for their meal? And then I left a note for the waiter. I said, would you just give this to them? And the note just said, this is the only thing it said, whyiboughtyourmeal.com. What are the chances that they would go check out that website after somebody paid for their meal? Pretty good, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty good chance that they'd go check out that website. I thought, well, maybe I could do it a little cheaper. I am an evangelist. I got a pretty strict budget, okay? <laughs> maybe I could just do it with coffee. And this idea started three years ago, and next month we are finally launching this concept where I've created these cards and I've created a website, Why I Bought Your Coffee, Dot com. It is unbelievable how easy it is to share the gospel with somebody just by giving them a card that has a website on it after you've purchased their coffee. You're in line and somebody orders a coffee and you just simply say, hey, could I get that for you? And you pay for it and then hand them this card, whyiboughtyourcoffee.com. 
And then that's it. You walk away. You're done. Matter of fact, if this gets a little bit boring, just go to the website right now and check it out, okay? It's amazing. It's a great website. All it does is it's a simple scroll through gospel message. I ended up sending this uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago uh, to 17 pastor friends around the country. And I said, hey, would you please try this out? These are ministry leaders. Would you try this out? They would purchase a gift card, many of them, and they'd pair it with a why about your coffee card, and then they'd hand those out to individuals. One gentleman named Alan, uh, Alan uh, said, he wrote this to me after he was done. He said, one lady who was with what seemed to be her boyfriend working on their laptops in the coffee shop got up before I left and asked if she could give me a hug. Her boyfriend gratefully shook my hand. They were extremely touched. I'm just telling you, for an introvert like me, this is an easy way to share the gospel. Now, it is going to cost you a cup of coffee for being an introvert, but it's worth it. I'm telling you, I have already done this thousands of times, well, I shouldn't say thousands, hundreds of times already. Spent a lot of money on coffee because I wanted to see if it worked. I give it to people in the drive-thru. Instantly, I pay for their coffee. Instantly, somebody says, hey, somebody wanted to get your coffee and asked me to give this to you hands it to them. While they're sitting there waiting on the coffee, they're going to whyibotyourcoffee.com. And they're checking out, and they're getting, for the price of a cup of coffee, they're getting to hear the gospel message. Now, I haven't launched this yet, so if you want to get in on this, the only way to know about it after this is you're going to have to sign up for our email newsletter. This is not a, a scam or a ploy to get you on my newsletter list. I'm just telling you, next month, we've got the emails ready to go. Next month, we're going to launch whyaboutyourcoffee.com, and I'd love for you to be a part of it. I think it's an easy, effective way to reach people. Now, you'll not find anything about us on whyaboutyourcoffee.com. This is so that every church in America and any Christian in America can use this, and, and it's just a pure gospel message website. That's all that's on it. You'll check it out. That's all that's on it. So you'd have to go to my website, creationtoday.org. You're not going to write that down? Okay, that's fine. Creationtoday.org to find it, to sign up for my email, and I'll tell you guys about that, okay? We're going to be releasing that next Every single time it's sent people to the website, whyaboutyourcoffee.com, and it's just a simple, easy, effective way to share the gospel message. Hey, one other project that I'm working on, by the way, if you like tracks, I brought a gift for you. This is the gift Angie has. I created this track right here. Can you see what that is? Can you guys see what that is? This is a round to it. A lot of people say they're going to do a whole lot of things when they get around to it. We've got the round to it to give them so they can go get those things done. It's a very simple way to share your faith. On the back is a gospel message. I walk up to people all the time. I say, hey, did you get one of these? They say, no. I say, do you know what it is? They say, no. I say, it's a round to it. You know all those things your husband says he'll do when you get around to it? Well, you just got to give that to him and you can make that happen. You know all those things you want to get done when you get around to it? You just got to get around to it. Hey, a lot of people say they're going to make peace with their maker when they get around to it. The back of that teaches you how to make peace with your maker. I just wanted to make sure you had that, all right? And you just give it out. It's that simple. So I try to make uh, ways of sharing your faith really easy. I take a trip to the Grand Canyon every year. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I thought, man, what if... What if we could reach the six and a half million people a year that go to the Grand Canyon? What if we could reach them with the gospel? So three years ago, uh, I was with the, the film crew of Living Waters. You guys know Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort's ministry, Living Waters? Okay, their film crew went with me on the uh, Grand Canyon trip. 
And I'm talking to them. They're documenting some stuff for, for actually this season that's coming out this year of their uh, Living Waters show that's uh, airing on 600 stations around the world. And, um, and I said, guys, I really wish I had something to give to people to show them how Grand Canyon formed. And Eddie, their producer, said, Eric, why don't you make a documentary talking about the Grand Canyon, leading from the scarred earth to the scarred hands of Jesus Christ, and then like put that on billboards and stuff. Well, last month, I just finished my documentary. It's absolutely free. You can go to grandcanyonmovie.com. She's writing it down, yes. Grandcanyonmovie.com. To, for this to be popping up on their phone when they're in that area, it's like, oh, a new documentary. And to potentially, eventually raise funds to do billboards out there. Experience the Grand Canyon now. GrandCanyonMovie.com. This uh, documentary, you can, you can watch it. It goes from the, the, the scar of the earth, the science of the scar, to the scarred hands of Jesus Christ. And it takes people right to the gospel message, the truth of the flood, and the judgment that's going to be coming in the future. And you watch people change their mind in seconds about the Grand Canyon. Matter of fact, I got a 60 second trailer. Can I play it? Thank you. Here it is. You got the Grand Canyon behind you. How do you think the Grand Canyon formed? Uh. How do you think the Grand Canyon formed? From the river. Uh, I have no idea. Humans destroyed everything. Maybe some miracle. The prehistoric, uh, what are they? <laughs> Dinosaurs? I have no idea actually, man. Are you open to scientific evidence that could show that it had to be formed from a catastrophic event? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Scientific fact number one. Does that help change your mind? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. From right I, Yeah, I think so. When you put it that way, I can see your point. That was one of the best interpretations that I have heard, and I've heard a lot of them. I would love to see... 100,000 people a year get exposed to the Grand Canyon movie Scarred Earth. Imagine going to the canyon, one of the, one of the seven wonders of the world. Many people consider it the top seven wonders of the year, uh, seven wonders of the world, and getting to experience the gospel message because you visited that canyon. Six and a half million people a year are going there. I'm excited about what God's letting us do, okay? I'm just, it's really, really neat. Uh, this last weekend, I was at Valencia College, and I, I created a banner. This was a little bit in your face, but I created a banner, and through uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, I got on the University of Valencia, and we set up a table, and we put my banner on the front of the table, and my banner said, God created the heavens and the earth. Prove me wrong. <laughs> You want to talk about inciting some great conversations, man. Throughout, we were supposed to be there for two hours. We stayed for five straight hours and talked to students one-on-one. -on -one. Ended up, by the time that the, the kids that gathered around as they were coming through, over 500 students stood there and listened to us talk about God creating the heavens and the earth and the reality, the truth about that. And the, the problem with the evolution worldview that they're, being, that they're being taught, oh, I wish I could show you some of the video clips of these students. What students are learning on our campus is sad. It's incredibly sad. They are incredibly, incredibly relativistic. There is no truth. There is no right and wrong. It's really bad. The Bible says in Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? In Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of? Is that true? No, seriously, is that true? No, not, not just because we're in church. I mean, I really want you to think about it, okay? Not just because it's in the Bible. I really want you to process it. Is that really true? 
How many of you know somebody who's a skeptic? Anybody know anybody who's a skeptic? Anybody have family members that, are, that, would, be, that would consider themselves skeptics? Yeah, okay. All right, so your skeptic friend or your skeptic family member, they don't necessarily fear God. Do they know anything? They don't. Huh. You're like, I don't know. I don't. They do. Great, we're going to split the church here. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, next pastor. <laughs> My do, do they have knowledge apart from God? I hope in just a few minutes, this concept is like literally mind-blowing to you because I think these verses will make even more sense here in just a minute. Okay, I gotta kind of set it up though, so give me a few minutes here to set up this concept, okay? Here's the problem that, and, and the reason that I do what I do. The reason I leave my family, the reason I, and it's nice to have my daughter with me. I love traveling with family, but uh, the reason I leave my home and leave my beautiful wife is because 75 to 80% of kids that grow up in our churches today after one year of college are rejecting God. We're doing the best we can over here in youth. We're doing the best we can to teach them the truth, to teach them the word of God, to teach them where truth comes from. And they go to one year of a secular college and it is completely undermined. Let me ask you a question. Let me see if this rings true to you. Is it possible... That 70 to 80% of kids that grow up in Christian homes and then attend a secular university reject God because 70 to 80% of kids that grow up in Christian homes aren't Christians when they went to college. That's what happened in my life. Here I was raised in an incredible Christian home. My dad was a world-famous evangelist. My mom played the piano. She played the organ. Remember that? I mean, she could do the whole two rows at the same time. And the feet. I mean, dude, she's amazing, okay? I grew up in the church. I mean, I slept under pews like this at three years old when I was in big church with mom and dad. I grew up Monday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. My parents worked at the church. My dad was a pastor I mean, we were there Wednesday night for service, and then we had Thursday choir practice, and then Saturday visitation, and then lots of weeks, it was Friday events happening. I, I grew up in church, and I became the product of a church environment rather than a true disciple of Jesus Christ, and that was the problem. I think we've got a lot of young people that have mom and dad's faith, and we've got to go, no, you've got to have your own faith. Why do you believe this? Why do you think this? What do you think about God? And it's got to be their own faith. See, humanism says the end of all being is the happiness of man. The reason we exist is for our own happiness. Christianity says, no, 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 no. The end of all being is the glory of God. The reason we exist is to glorify him, to use our life for him, to use our time, talent, treasure. God can clear Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. And the psychic, your neighbor is your conclusion law, all 613 of the Old Testament reduced down to three by the time some prophets came along, reduced down to two by the time Jesus came on the scene, said this is what it's all about. Love God and love others. George Clooney said, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't believe in God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. Brad Pitt said, I'm probably 20% atheist, 80% agnostic. I don't think anyone really knows you'll either find out or not when you get there. Until then, there's no point in thinking about it. A lot of the icons that our kids follow are, are leading them down a path that does not represent the truth. Most kids today in college will say, look, we don't know. I had a girl say that at Valencia. I got it on video. I'd love to show you the video clip. She's like, I don't know. 
I said, okay, well, I, I do know. She said, no, you don't. I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you don't know, how can you tell me that I don't know? You clearly said you don't know. So if you don't know, you don't know what I know. You can't tell me that I don't know. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. That's a problem. Skeptics will say religious belief is irrational. There's no evidence for God's existence. Is that the case? Are we here to argue over evidence of God's existence? No, the answer is no. Why? Because we all have the exact same evidence. You're living in the same world I'm living in. Any skeptic out there is living in the same world we're living in. We're living in the same world. We're looking at the same stuff. We've all got the same evidence. It's not like, oh, I've got more evidence for God than you do against God. We're dealing with the same facts. We're dealing with the same data. We're all looking at the exact same world. So if we all have the, the same evidence, what's the issue? I was at uh, the Reason Rally in Washington, D.C. I don't think I have a clip of this. Um, I was at the Reason Rally in Washington, D.C. Maybe I do have a clip of it. And I was asking atheists, uh, this is the largest gathering of atheists in the history of the world. 25 to 30,000 atheists is what they claim. It looked like more than 20,000 to me, but you know, when there's no God, you can lie about it. It doesn't matter. So 25 to 30,000 atheists, and I thought... Well, that sounds like fun. So I went to the Reason Rally in Washington, D.C., and I asked them over and over, is there evidence, or why are you an atheist? And they'd say, there's no evidence for God's existence. And I'd ask them, if I could give you evidence, if I could prove God right now to your own satisfaction, would you worship him? What do you think they said? They said, no. Isn't that shocking? They said they did not worship him. What does this tell us? Isn't skeptics till wee hours of the morning. One of the guys at that Reason Rally, uh, Max, we talked with him at the hotel. We stayed there in the lobby of the hotel and talked till two o'clock in the morning. He said, I admit the atheist worldview doesn't make sense. And then he said, why is God against homosexuality? Ah, you don't want to believe in God because you know that that would, ah, that's what's really going on. Is there evidence of the resurrection of Christ? Oh my goodness, so much evidence. Matter of fact, I did a small group series on this with an expert on the resurrection, Tim Chapey. Tim is the guy who wrote every single sign in the Ark Encounter at the, uh, the, Kentucky, the, the full-size Ark in Kentucky. He wrote all the signage in there. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And it dawned on me one day, I'm putting my entire trust in one event that happened in history, and I don't know a whole lot about it. I better study this thing out. So I started studying the resurrection and oh my goodness, there is some unbelievable evidence for God uh, sending Jesus Christ to live on the, I mean, man, the, the prophecies about the, the crucifixion and resurrection, the week of the, everything was miraculous. It was incredible. The prophecies came true. He really did rise from the dead and that's what we put our hope in. Matter of fact, if he didn't rise from the dead, Paul says, our whole faith is in vain. What are you guys doing here? If, I, if, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Is there evidence of creation? Hey, listen quickly, because I gotta run through these fast, okay, buddy? Listen real fast, okay? Are you listening? Listen fast. There is lots of evidence that God created the earth about 6,000 years ago, like the Bible says. For example, today we are at uh, 7 point, about 6 maybe, 7.7 billion people on planet earth. We're about to hit 8 billion people on the planet. If you put the human population on a, on a growth chart showing when it started and how long it took to get that, the human population makes what's called an exponential growth curve on a graph where it goes up, starts off slow and then takes off and goes up really quick. If you put the human population on a growth curve, did you know that the entire world population of 7.7, 7.6, 7.8 billion people 
began approximately 4,400 years ago. You can get 7.7 billion people in 4,400 years. Now, that's kind of interesting, because what do we think happened 4,400 years ago? Anybody? Anybody? Flood. Yeah, the flood happened. Eight people survived. They repopulated the world. The the fact that there are 7.7 billion people on the planet today is great evidence that the earth is only a few thousand years old. Matter of fact, if we had been here for millions of years, we would have a real problem. Here it is in the textbooks. They show the basic curve. They go back to about 4,400 years, but then they just trail it off. 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 500,000. You cannot maintain a tiny human population for millions and millions of years. It's impossible. The genetic load, the deformed chromosomes, all the problems, it doesn't work. It doesn't work mathematically. It doesn't work uh, genetically. It doesn't work scientifically. There's no way to have people here for millions of years. If we had been here for millions of years, there would be a whole lot more people. Science, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica did a study. They said, if we had been here for just one million years, The current growth rate is 1.7%. If we started 1 million years ago with the first two apes that stood up and the girl ape stood up and she's like, I don't want to be an ape no more. I'm going to be a human. And a boy ape was like, oh, you fine. So he stands up. He's like, I'm with you. We're going to be people. And those are the first two people a million years ago, okay? And then they start having children. Instead of the current population growth rate of 1.7% annually, we're going to slow that growth rate all the way down to 0.01% instead of 1.7. So it's 170th of what it is today. And at that percentage rate, 0.01%, you would double the number of people every 7,000 years. Are we tracking? So a million years ago, you've got two people. 7,000 years later, you've now got, you've doubled it, you've now got, okay? You're gonna double it every 7,000 years. A million years ago, there were two. 7,000 years after that, there are now, you double the two and you get 7,000 years later, you've got, 7,000 years later, you've now got, 7,000 years later, you've now got, you guys are catching on. So you're doubling every 7,000 years. At that incredibly slow, impossibly slow, there's no way you could survive at that rate, slow growth rate. In one million years, you would double those two first apes that stood up and were human. You would double those every 7,000 years, 142 times in a million years. Two times, two times, two times, two times, two, 142 times, gives you that many people on planet Earth right now. Those are the ones that are alive. That doesn't even calculate all the ones that, were de- that are dead now. Do we see anything? We should be on top of 100 miles of human bones. We should have 150,000 people per square inch on our planet if we had been here for millions of years. Mathematics shows we have not been here for millions of years. The science does not add up. The oceans today are 3.6% salt. The the, the rain is constantly washing minerals from the ground into the oceans. Well, 3.6% salt today is no big deal. But you want me to believe that those oceans are four, maybe three billion years old? In three billion years, how salty would those oceans get? Any one of you could go pull a Jesus and walk on water right now if those oceans were really three billion years old. That's how salty they'd be. Anybody ever been to the Dead Sea? Have you taken that trip? I got to go two years ago. Oh my goodness, amazing, amazing experience. You don't even want to get a drop of this water in your eye, okay? Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's why they call it the 
You guys are sharp, okay. So yeah, that's why they call it that. Nothing lives there. We saw a lady, I felt so bad. She's walking and all of a sudden she trips on a rock. Face first in the Dead Sea. Not something you want to do. It just burns your eyes. It's just, it's called the Dead Sea for a good reason, okay. You don't want to go fall in the Dead Sea. How about this? The moon goes around the earth. Did anybody know that already? Did anybody already have that? You guys already had that figured out? By the way, does anybody know the scientific name for it? We call it moon. That's what we call it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so <laughs> lunar, luni, loony. Okay, moon. All right. So the moon goes around the earth. Here's the problem. The moon every year is getting a little bit further away from the earth. Now, it's not by much, but it's because Earth's losing its gravitational field. It's losing its, its gravity. It's getting weaker. So the moon is getting further and further away from the Earth. No big deal if you only believe the Earth is about 6,000 years old like I do. But you want me to believe that the Earth and the moon are you know, four, a little over 4 billion years old, 4.6 billion years old? Now we've got a problem. Because if the moon is getting further and further away, that means in the past it used to be closer. That's correct. Well, if we go back 6,000 years, no big deal. We go back millions or billions of years, big time problem. The moon is what causes the tides. Just a little over 20 million years ago, the moon would have caused the tides to drown everything on earth twice a day. Normally, we can only drown once a day. I mean, once. <laughs> you can't get life to sustain on earth when you got tides drowning everything twice a day. It doesn't work. You go back even further than that, man, the moon would have been hovering the surface of the earth. That explains what happened to the dinosaurs, at least the tall ones. <laughs> they got moon to death. <laughs> terrible way to go, terrible way to go. Now, earth is losing its magnetic field. It's getting weaker over time. Well, if earth is losing its magnetism, how far back can we go? You can't go back more than about 25,000 years with, earth, with earth's magnetism getting weaker. There's a lot of evidence, by the way, that we could go through that shows God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it recently. Matter of fact, if you look at how to date the, the universe or how to date the, the earth, about 95% of the methods show the earth is young, it's not old. But what do the evolutionists always focus on? They always focus on the ones that say it's millions or billions of years old. What about all these that show that it can't be that old? Those are the ones that are the problem. Those are the ones that are the issues. Every major branch of scientists was started by creationists, people that love God and wanted to discover his, his design in the universe. How about this? You ever heard somebody say, I used to be a Christian. You ever heard that one? I used to be a Christian. I, I, I kind of wonder about that. I was at, uh, in California speaking, and there was a protest going on outside. So being my mild-mannered, shy self, I went out there to talk to the protesters. I was like, let's have a conversation. I'm out there talking to them, and um, uh, it was afterwards, so many of them had left. One guy stuck around. Forgive me, I don't remember his name. Maybe it was David, but anyway, um, I was talking to this one guy, and I asked him a simple question. I got it on video. He said, I used to be a Christian, and I asked him a question. Can I show you that? Can I show you that video? Can I show you the video? Yes, okay, thank you, okay. I want to show you this video. You said you used to be a Christian? Yeah. Yeah, when you were a Christian, did you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Absolutely, my father graduated. You had a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal yeah. relationship with him? Yes. So you do believe in him? No, no. Oh, uh, so you didn't have a personal relationship with him? I did. You, don't, you, you believed in him, in him and had a personal relationship, but now you don't believe him and don't have a personal relationship. No, I don't see what's hard to understand about that. I'm sorry, Eric. Okay. But um, no, so you're saying was... you did have a personal relationship with somebody who now you say does not exist. 
Christianity and Jesus was a very big part of my life. Do I think I was wrong? Yes. Do I think I was delusional? No, because you're playing fast and loose with the definitions of delu- uh, the, the, with the definition of delusional. So you're now you don't believe in Jesus Christ, though. No, of course I do not believe in Jesus Christ. In terms but you of, did have a relationship with him at one time. Are we just gonna keep going round and round? Do we not? Do we? Uh, do we not? Hold on, hold on. Do we not get what I'm saying? Is, 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 it, is it incomprehensible? It sounds like you're saying... Is it incomprehensible? Hold on. Is it incomprehensible? Show of hands. Show Is it incomprehensible to what I'm saying? Yeah. I see zero... Ha- one hand. Okay. One hand. It, 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 is not, it is not... It is not... Incom- it, so everybody else understands what I'm saying. They're so not, you, they're, we're, we're not saying... So play, playing the language game by saying, oh, well, now that you don't believe it, you were never a Christian. Or, no, or I'm just because you asking, believe it, you're wrong. Do you believe in Jesus Christ now? No, of course okay. not. Okay. Did you have a relationship with Jesus Christ at yes, one point? Yes, I did. There we go. Thanks. to get out of that one. You know, I was married for 20 years. My wife Tanya and I married for 20 years. We even had three beautiful children. Last week, I found out my wife isn't real. (laughs) Does that make any sense? No, I was telling him. I kept saying, listen, instead of saying I used to be a Christian, say I used to be delusional. At least that's consistent with what you're claiming now. I used to have a relationship with somebody who now I believe doesn't, has never existed. It's like, that's not, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. Okay, write these questions down. I'm going to give you four questions real quick to ask a skeptic, and then I'm going to give you my mind-blowing little thing, okay? All right, here we go. Write these down. Here's four questions to ask a skeptic. Question number one, is it impossible for the God of the Bible to exist? Is that impossible? Is it impossible for the God of the Bible to exist? Now, if, you just got to understand something about skeptics. Skeptics don't believe anything is impossible. Anything could happen, and they'll tell you that. Oh, anything can happen. So if anything can happen, could God exist? Yeah. And they'll usually say, yeah, sure, it's possible that God exists. Then I ask them another question. By the way, they've just acknowledged it is possible that God exists. Then I ask them another po- question. Is it impossible for the God, oh, here's my next question. Is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be? I so wanted to give her my arm and just walk her out. There we go. Okay, there we go. Thank you. All right. Is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be? Is that impossible? Now, remember, nothing's impossible for a skeptic. So when you ask this question, is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be? They're going to have to say, no, it's not impossible. It could be. Well, the Bible claims to be revelation from God. Then I ask this. I say, hey, is it impossible for God to reveal truth to us? Could an all-powerful God reveal truth to you and I? Could an all-powerful God do that? Could he reveal truth to us in a way that we, can be, that we can know that it's true? Yeah. That's not impossible. Sure, that could happen. Okay, now here's what you've done. You've just set up the entire premise for Christianity. You've, they've admitted, yes, it's possible that God exists. Yes, it's possible that the Bible could be revelation from God. And yes, it's possible for God to give you certainty. That's the Christian worldview. God exists, the Bible is revelation from God, and God gives us certainty. That is the Christian worldview. Now, you have to be really, really nice when you ask this next question, okay? Because I'm just telling you, I've met a lot of people that can come across as jerks as Christians. I'll go ahead and admit, in my 20 years of ministry, I have been the jerk of a Christian talking to atheists and talking to skeptics. So you really do need to remember that God told you to be humble. Because, but by the grace of God, you would be the one in their shoes. But by the grace of God, you would be the one in their shoes. I ask this question, and it is a powerful question. Don't lose this. Here's what I ask. I say, hey, could you be wrong about everything you think you know? 
Now remember, a skeptic is, is going to say anything's possible. So could they be wrong about everything they think they know? They could. And they'll admit this over and over and over. They'll say, yeah, yeah, I could be wrong about everything I think I know. That's humility. That's what happened at the university last week again. It happens all the time. That I'm humble enough to admit I could be wrong. Huh. So they do. They admit this readily. They say this all the time, over and over and over. Barbara Smoker, atheist. Atheists don't claim to know anything with certainty. It's believers who know it all. Ha, 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 ha. Trying to make a joke against believers. Saying, look, atheists don't have certainty. Michael Nugent, atheism does not require certainty. Strictly speaking, we cannot be certain of anything. Does anybody else see a problem with that? I'm absolutely certain that we are not certain. Do you see the problem there? Do you see the logical problem with this statement? It, it's a problem. It really is. So I like to point that out. I was in a debate with Alex Botton and Jim Gardner, and I said, Alex, could you be wrong about everything you think you know? He said, I could be wrong about everything I think I know. I then tried to explain to him how he had just lost the debate. He's like, no, I didn't. I said, Alex, you just admitted that everything you're claiming in this debate, you could be wrong about. And you're trying to claim the Bible isn't true, evolution did happen, God doesn't exist, and you could be wrong about all of them. You admitted it. You lost the debate. No, I didn't. I'm like, could you be wrong about that? <laughs> it's a powerful question because according to skepticism and atheism, you cannot get certainty. I'll explain that here in just a second, okay? Uh, the next day or two days later, I went on Twitter and I tweeted, the truths of God are, a matter of, are not a matter of belief or unbelief. They're a matter of acceptance or rejection. Who cares if you uh, believe it or not? The tr it, it's true. Now, do you accept it or do you reject it? Alex, the atheist that I just debated, chimed in on the conversation. He said, that's fallacious. In other words, that's not true. Now, I have a choice here. I can either back up my claim, oh, yes, it is true, let me prove it, or I can just remind Alex of what he thinks. I chose the latter. I said, Alex, you could be wrong. <laughs> he replied, he said, I could be, but so could you, and I'm not. Time out, time out. I could be wrong, but I'm not. Those don't go together logically, okay? You can't say, I could be, but I'm not, in the same sentence, and it'd be logically accurate. I couldn't help myself. I said, you just contradicted yourself in one tweet, LOL. <laughs> you can't say that and be logically consistent, okay? Oh, I gotta skip that for sake of time. Here's the last question I ask, and oh, I, I, I do have the video of this, but I won't show it to you because it's a couple minutes long. I say, if I could prove God to your satisfaction... Would you worship him? And this is where we really get down to the nitty gritty. Because most skeptics will say no. I have had some say yes. Most will say no. They don't want to believe in God. I'll show you just a, a, a second of this video. Uh, maybe I did take it out already. Oh yeah, I did take it out. Okay, so didn't have time for that. Um, the Bible tells us very clearly, Romans chapter one, everybody knows that God exists, but there are those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth because they want to do what they want to do. That's the real problem. And then professing themselves to be wise, they've become fools. And that's what we see today. They're making themselves look foolish. Okay, my mind-blowing concept. Are you ready for this? Okay, if you fell asleep, I get it. I, I, I fell asleep a lot in church. Uh, wake up, this is the part I want you to get, okay? This is the part I want you to get. You good, man? You good? We good? We tracking? Okay. If you could be wrong, then you don't really know. That's the concept. You got it? You got it? If you could be wrong, then you don't really know, okay? 
Now, let me just make sure that's sinking in. If I said the speed limit on the road right out here is 45 miles an hour, and then I said, but I could be wrong. Do I know the speed limit on the road outside? No, I don't, because I said I. I could be wrong, and if I could be wrong, then I... I don't really know. If I said the Willison Tower, formerly the Sears Tower, is 1,751 feet tall, but I could be wrong. Do I know the height of the Willison Tower? No, because I said I, and if I could be wrong, then I don't really know. Okay, all right. Now, that's the setup. Here's the thought. Out of all the knowledge in the universe, out of everything there is to know about everything throughout all time and history, out of all the biology, all the anatomy, all the physics, all the calculus, every, every branch of math, all astronomy, throughout all of time, what the dog is doing at home right now, I mean, out of everything there is to know about everything, how much do you think you have? How much knowledge? I mean, out of everything. Thomas Edison, the great inventor, said, we do not know one millionth of one percent of anything. <laughs> kind of infinitesimally small is what he was thinking, okay? Okay, so for sake of an example, out of all the knowledge out there, let's just assume for just a second, let's just pretend, okay, that we think we've got a massive 1% of all the knowledge in the universe, okay? Now that would be stretching it, okay? But let's just assume for just a second, let's just pretend that we think we've got 1%. Don't fall asleep on me, this is it, ready? Ready? Is it possible that out of the 99% of stuff that you do not know, that something out there could contradict the 1% that you think you know? i say that again. I don't want this to go over your head, okay? Is it possible that out of the 99% of stuff that you do not know, that something out there could contradict or prove wrong the 1% that you think you know? Is that possible? So what you're telling me is, you could be wrong about that 1%. Is that what you're telling me? Well, if you could be wrong about that 1%, that means you don't really know that 1%. Which means you don't know nothing. You don't know anything at all. <laughs> Let's pray. I'm just kidding. What? Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Stop. Time out. We're going to conclude that we don't know anything? Is this the conclusion? Now, this is where skeptics stop. If you want to understand the mind of the skeptic, this is where they stop. They draw the line right there and say, we don't know anything. Because in order to say you know something to be true and you cannot be wrong about it, you would have to have all knowledge. You would have to know everything in order to say you know one thing. Otherwise, you could be wrong. And if you could be wrong, then you don't really know. You would have to have all knowledge. You would have to know everything in order to say, I cannot be wrong. I am right about this. I, I am not wrong. You'd have to have all knowledge. Otherwise, you could be wrong. And if you could be wrong, you don't really know. Or you just have to know someone who knows everything. And the one who knows everything can reveal truth to you. And so even though you don't know everything, you know the one who does know everything. 
And the one who knows everything can reveal truth to you and can teach it to you in a way that you cannot be wrong. You cannot be wrong. You can be absolutely right. You can be confident. Confide. Confident. With faith. You can be confident because you're talking to the guy who knows it all. It doesn't mean that you're going to know everything, but you can get revelation from the one who does know everything. That is the Christian world view. We are confident. We can know that we're right. Does it mean that everything we believe is right? No. Does it mean we can know things that are absolutely true and that truth can exist? Yes. But if you deny God, you have to therefore deny knowledge. Because without God, you can't have knowledge. The only way to know anything is to have revelation from the one who knows it all. It's the only way to have knowledge. Apart from that, you're stuck saying, I don't know anything. That's where you're stuck. And some people are like, I'm fine. I'd rather be stuck there. I'd rather be humble and say, I don't know anything. I submit to you that making the claim that you don't know anything is absurd. I was talking to a guy online till two o'clock in the morning. We are going back and forth in a debate online and da-da-da-da-da, enter, da-da-da-da, enter. enter. Man, my poor wife's like, honey, come to bed. I'm like, hang on, somebody on the internet's wrong. (laughs) Fixing the world right here. This guy on the other end of this conversation kept saying, we don't know anything. We could be wrong about everything. We don't know anything. Finally, I got frustrated. I shut down the conversation at two o'clock in the morning and I went to bed. Got up a couple hours later to get my daughter Stephanie ready for school. My daughter Stephanie at the time, she just turned 17 last week. She was seven years old when this happened. Seven years old. I get my daughter up. I'm a little groggy from being up till two o'clock in the morning debating this guy. I'm a little groggy. I get her favorite cereal, Honey Bunches of Oats. I pour it in the bowl. I put the spoon in the bowl, pour the milk in. I was groggy, but I didn't even have any milk splash out. It was pretty good, okay? It was a good morning. Poured the milk in, slid it across our countertop to my daughter, Stephanie, and out of frustration, I put my elbows on the countertop, put my hands on my face, and I looked right in my little girl's eyes, seven years old, and I said, Stephanie, did you know there are some people that say we don't know anything at all? She stopped and she went, Well, how do they know that? (laughs) Boom! I was like, what? Where were you at two in the morning, kid? I needed you. Daddy needed help, okay? The very statement, we don't know anything, is a statement about something that you you know. (laughs) It's what's called a self-defeating statement or self-refuting statement. It's a statement that just by making the statement, it refutes itself. If I said, I don't believe in words. No, seriously, guys, I don't. I do not believe in words. I got a book about it on the back table. You can go buy it if you want. Wait a minute. (laughs) I don't speak any English. Not one word. Wait a minute. I don't believe that truth exists. Don't believe it. It's self-refuting because I'm claiming that truth, or I'm claiming that I believe truth does not exist. Is it true that I believe that truth does not exist? It's a self-defeating statement. And when you follow the mind of the skeptic, it will always lead to self-defeating statements. Skepticism defeats 
itself every time. You want proof of God? Without God, the one who knows everything, you can't have knowledge. You can't know anything. Say, oh, how do you know God revealed things to us? If he didn't, we couldn't know anything. If the one who knows everything didn't reveal truth to us, we're stuck in in this position of we don't know anything. We're stuck. And you can't stay stuck there because it's self-refuting. Therefore, God must exist. Now, let me just make sure I didn't leave somebody behind here, okay? Because sometimes I leave people behind in this little message, okay? Sorry about that. Um, Do you know anything? You're like, I don't know. I have no idea. Do I know anything? Come on, do you know anything? Of course you know things. We all know things. Even the person who says, I don't know anything, that's something that he thinks he knows. Everybody knows things. Everybody's got knowledge. Yes, you know things, and you couldn't have that without God. (gasps) The fear of the Lord really is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord really is the very beginning of knowledge. His revelation of mankind is the foundation for truth. This should make you fall in love with the pages of this book. Should make you fall in love with revelation from, man, from God to mankind. Should make you just love it. Are you a skeptic? Have you ever been a skeptic? Do you have those difficult questions that you think are just almost impossible to answer? Why would God? How did God? When did God? If you want it, it's revelation from God to mankind. And it's freely available to everybody out there. Hadn't always been the case. God has done amazing things to preserve his truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not through Allah or his prophet Muhammad. It's not through an angel talking to Joseph Smith. It's not through the Mormons. It's not through the Jehovah's Witness. It's through Jesus Christ alone. Have you died today? Where are you going to go? Smoking or (laughs) non-smoking? You say, Eric, I don't believe in hell. Okay, that's fine. Stand in the road and don't believe in trucks and see how well that works for you. (laughs) Saying you don't believe in something doesn't make it go away. It really doesn't. Hey, when you die, you're going to be there for quite a while. You better think long and hard about where you're going to be for that long while because you're going to be there for a while. Abraham Lincoln died over 150 years ago. Guess what? He is. He really is. He is still dead. He is still dead. Hey, Christians, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? What are we doing for heaven's sake? What are we doing that's going to matter for the glory of God? You and I are going to get a little bitty dash between two dates. The Bible describes it as a vapor that appeareth for a while and poof, vanish it. Some of you that are older than me, I'm already starting to say this to the younger kids. I can't believe it. I never thought I'd say it. It goes by fast, doesn't it? It goes by fast. What are you going to do with your dash? You can use it for humanism. You can use it for yourself. You can say, I'm here to get all the happiness I can. I'm using my talent, my time, my treasure for me. Or you can say, you know what? God has put me here for a purpose. I'm gonna do everything for the glory of God. I believe that as soon as we have abolished the humanist worldview from the classrooms of our textbooks, from the classrooms of our schools, from the pages of our textbooks, we will be well on our way to being the country that God wants us to be. 
Can I take it a step further and step on some toes? I believe in order for that movement to get started, we need to look inside of ourselves and ask God to rid our own heart of the humanism that has shaped our thinking and our decisions. What makes you do what you do? The Bible says whether you eat or take a drink, do all to the... How are we doing that out there? Are we doing that in here? Is that what this church is about? I, I cannot imagine the privilege a pastor would have of coming and taking over this church with a group of people that says, hey, we're debt free and we're living our life for the glory of God. And if we're not, you point that out because that's what I want. I wanna live my life for the glory of God. If I'm not doing that, you show me and you tell me and let's reason through the scriptures about how I can give glory to God. Boy, I've met a lot of people that have said, I'd love being a pastor if it weren't for the people. Don't be those people to this next pastor. Don't be those people. Man, praise God that you guys are seeing the need to say, let's get out of debt. You know how much freedom a church has to do missions when they're out of debt. Wow. Imagine being done by the end of this year, before the end of this year, and looking at 2020 saying, God, what do you want us to do? We're gonna keep on giving like there's no tomorrow. We're gonna keep on investing in our community. We're gonna keep on being a light to those who desperately need it. Imagine what you guys could do. Wow, wow. But if humanism is still in the heart, because let me tell you, I, I go to churches all the time, every week. Humanism has crept its way into the church. And we got a lot of people that are willing to sit on a pew, but really this is all about what they can get for them rather than what they can give to others. And I get it, hey, we are to be ministered to, I get that. But you also need to be ministering to others. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? The end of all being is the glory of God, guys. That's it. The end of all being is the glory of God. So what are you doing for the glory of God? What area of your life, what area of your family is not giving glory to God? Which relationship in your life is not giving glory to God? How do you communicate in a way that does not give glory to God? How do you behave in a way that does not give glory to God? How do you think in a way that does not give glory to God? Can you imagine what it would be like if we just all decided we're gonna live our life for the glory of God and God alone? Wow, what God could do, what God could do. In just a second, we're gonna just have a time of invitation. You guys know how it goes. My church is much like this, just a little bit bigger. And as much as possible, when I'm in town and I get to go to church, as much as possible, I like to take myself down to the altar and I like to just humble myself before God and say, God, I just want my life to count for you. I just wanna live for your glory. And every time I do that, and again, I'm from a huge church, okay? Massive, massive church. Every time I do that, I can't help but wonder, what if more dads led the way by humbling themselves? Say, you're just trying to put a guilt trip on me. Well, let me ask you, when's the last time you did come down and just say, God, I just wanna just once again, just I wanna give it all to you. I want my life, I want my family to live for your glory. When's the last time you said, hey, family, Let's go. 
Let's just talk to God. Let's just commit ourselves right here. Man, I've had some sweet moments with my children and some sweet moments with my wife and some sweet moments as an entire family. Sometimes we'll wait and we'll come down after church is over. One time we prayed just for like an hour and a half and just said, God, we just want to commit to you. We want you to be in charge of our family. We want you to be in charge of our life. I almost feel like this has become foreign territory to many of us because we've grown up in it. I get it. I grew up in it. And this has become foreign land, and it's, I know there's nothing really special about these steps and about the altar, but I don't know. For me, there is. For me, it's a moment when I can say, I am putting one one foot in front of the other, and I'm actually going to humble myself, and I'm going to say, God, lead me and help me to lead others. That's what this is for me. Hey, I'm going to invite you in just a second, just to simply be a church that comes down and says, God, I just want to lay it down once again at your feet. I want to live my life for your glory and yours alone. That's what I want to do. Before I invite you to come, I just want to ask, there might be some people here that have never truly trusted in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're like I was. You grew up and you become a product of the church environment. You're not a real Christian. And I'd be, I'd be wrong if I didn't just simply ask, and give you an opportunity to acknowledge that's me. And I'm not going to try to coerce you. I'm going to pray for you. That's what I'm going to do. And I do want you to know that during the invitation time, there will, be, there will be staff up here that you can come and say, you know what, I need to take care of that. I need to do that. I'm not going to make you do that. There's nothing I can do to make you do that. I'm just letting you know that the, the opportunity is open as people come and pray for you to just simply say, I need to take that first step. I need to trust in Christ. I need to, I need to receive him on his terms, not mine. I need, to, I need to practice Christianity rather than humanism. Humanism says, I want out of hell free. Christianity says, I'm a sinner. I deserve the wrath of God. God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. So if you're here and you're not saved, during this invitation time, I'm gonna invite you to come and just talk to one of the counselors and just say, that's me. I, I need to really get saved. I need to trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy. Hey, church, if you have a pastor that comes and he sees hearts that are always contrite, always broken, coming and saying, God, use me. God, work in me. Ah, oh, you're right. God's not done with Langston Baptist Church. He's not. Hey, would you be a people that just constantly, constantly, constantly says, God, use me, use me. Men, would you lead the way? I'm gonna pray as I pray. We're gonna have somebody play. And uh, while we do that, we're gonna invite you to just simply come and use this altar with me to once again say, God, I just wanna, I just wanna turn it all over to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. God, it's been just a, a brief moment in time that we've come here to sit in these pews at Langston Baptist Church to hear the truth that you are the beginning of wisdom. You are the beginning of knowledge. We do have the truth, and we don't have to be prideful in that, but God, we can be confident in that. And we can take that confidence to a world that says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and we can say, I do, I do. I've experienced it, I've got the answer. Listen to me, and God, may we go into the highways and into the byways, and may we lead people to you. Holy Spirit, I ask if there's somebody here that's never trusted in Christ, God, would you please open their eyes? 
Would you give them the courage to come down with others and just say, I, I want to know more about that. I need to do that today. And God will thank you and will praise you for that in your precious name.